Jeremiah and introduce our speaker this morning. And um, the, <coughs> excuse me just a second. <laughs> um, Jeremiah is, was a prophet during Israel's, one of Israel's worst times. Succession of five kings that followed after the way of Balaam. And yet in the midst of that environment, God called a man. Ezekiel 22 talks about, I sought for a man to make up the hedge and stand in the gap. And that understanding is paramount to understanding why we're gathered here. God's not going to do it for us, people. He's going to do it through us. I sought for a man that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. Well, Jeremiah, I'm just going to read this and I'm going to introduce Steve. So Jeremiah was a prophet during one of Israel's darkest hours. And yet God continued to use this man to do two things. One, speak and prophesy to the fact that the nation needed to repent and turn. And if they didn't repent, that the severity of the judgment would only increase, but judgment was coming in either case. What you have to understand is, is, is that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God weighs in his word is true. The patterns don't lie. Troy, I don't mean to point you out, but Troy's father, a man by the name of Dick Rubin, powerful, powerful man of God, moved to heaven earlier uh, this year, and um, but he taught a principle. Most of you will know it because I teach it. It's one of those principles that got into my spirit, and we recognize the Word of God as principle. Legacy phase, you know it. If the pattern is right, the glory will fall. The patterns are in the Word of God. They repeat themselves over and over and over. They're given to us so that we can understand, so we can know. And God, God didn't design us to be ignorant, so he gave us his word so that we can see these things. And so as the patterns unfold in the earth, it just gives you an alert, an alarm to recognize what's going on and what will happen in your lifetime. Remember, God's in this thing for the long game. He's here for the earth. And so, but Jeremiah makes this statement, and this is, I'm just going to use this to introduce Steve. In verse 5 of Jeremiah chapter 12, he says, If you <clears throat> have run with the footmen and they wearied you, how can you contend with horses? That's a challenge to us. If we got weary by running with men as it relates to spiritual things, how are we going to contend with the horsemen? How are we going to contend in the day of battle if we can't maintain our faith when times are good? And so these types of decrees or presentations are things that we must begin to embrace in order to become the ones that God can use and will use in the hour that we're living in. So without further ado, I want you guys to help me welcome Steve Prouse. I'll let him... Uh, tell, tell you a little bit more about himself as he gets ready in the Word. But Steve, come on up and um, praise the Lord. There were giants in the lands in those days and also after that.
Uh, with that intro, I can just sit down now. That was great. Thanks. Appreciate you guys. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest, like a first time, you know, a long time listener, first time caller type of thing. A uh, little background first. I'm a PK, but, but uh, I'm the bad kind. My horns held up my halo for most of my life, so don't get too excited. Um, background, uh, father's a pastor, mom was a cop. That marriage didn't last too long. Um, so I grew up with this, you know, balance of, you know, fearing God and fearing her boots being thrown at my head at full velocity. So that's about all she had. She's a tiny little five-foot-four Mexican lady. So all through my childhood, I was a giant. And first grade, there was my, uh, uh, the picture of the class is me with my arm around Mrs. Shane and all these other little kids in front. And so, you know, all year long, parents are like, hey, um, I is he okay? Is, is he older? Is he, is he okay? Is he special? No, I'm not okay. Not. Uh, fast forward, I'm seven. I'm uh, with my dad at YWCA. It's a women's Bible study on a Tuesday night. About 10 minutes into the service, some lady rolls in. About five minutes after that, she's yelling and screaming. About two minutes after that, she's foaming at the mouth on the floor with my dad trying to exercise a demon out of her. And I'm seven, but I'm the size of a 14-year-old. And all I hear after, you know, my dad's holding down her head, some ladies are on the side. My dad says, son, grab her feet. <laughs> okay. Uh, I jumped down on the floor, I put my hands on both her feet, and all of a sudden this electricity comes through my arms, and all I hear is, you. Lady popped her head up. Her eyes were in the back of her head, they rolled forward, and I'm just like, okay, I had nothing, I had nothing. I was just, I was in complete bewilderment, and my dad slammed her head back down, and you know, 10 minutes later she'd settled down, the demon was still there, but you know, it was what it was. Uh, fast forward through that, um, I've lived enough for five lifetimes. I started playing in bands when I was 15. I had done arena football. I worked at the Playboy Mansion for five years doing catering and security. No stories, no stories coming from that. Um, I also have done private security after that. So that was a whole different life of training, firearms, martial arts. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of regard for who I was guarding at the time. Eyes wide open, hindsight, uh, you could definitely see uh, whole elements of human trafficking behind it, a lot of things, um, it's rampant there. But <coughs> I, I was what you could say, a, a barstool prophet. So from bartending and working the door in security, um, that element of God was always in just about you know, the majority of all the conversations. If I would talk to people, I'd always dive to the deep end. There's no in between. Um, either we're drinking and partying or, you know, we're cutting the fat. And so that allowed me to kind of, <coughs> it was a lot of God's grace, to be honest. I, I didn't earn anything that he's done for my life. I should have been dead several times over. I've had the pleasure of training law enforcement, military, and firearms. Uh, 20 years ago, I was a striking coach. Uh, at the time, I was doing K-1 kickboxing, which was kind of taken over by Muay Thai. Um, so just a lifelong uh, angle of parting and, and discipline for the last 10 years or so. God's had me in a very different season. I've always woken up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Always. Almost on, on the nail. Uh, it's fluctuated, sometimes a little earlier, sometimes later, but always around that time, and I didn't know what it meant. Uh, biblically, there's a long-standing history there. It is when Abraham raised his dagger to sacrifice his son. 
It's when Job woke up, 4.30 in the morning, he woke up every day diligently praying for his kids. It's when Peter walked on the water. It's when Jacob wrestled with God. It's when Christ was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's when he ultimately arose on the third day. And I had to find out in hindsight what the biblical significance of the fourth watch was. And so I I was waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, all right, man, what do you want? (coughs) Ten years ago, I basically just got up and said, all right, I'm done. I I got up, I walked outside, and I started praying. At this time, I was in church in the back row, hoping that I could just sneak in after it started and sneak out before it ended. I just wanted to avoid people entirely. (coughs) Being a pastor's kid, my dad played keyboard for TBN for years, uh, Channel 40, in case anyone remembers. And I was around megachurch pastors, Ponjan Crouch, I'm around, uh, you know, the whole staff there, and I didn't like the business of church. I couldn't stand it. I thought it was fake. I thought they were liars. It was all BS. Um, I had no patience for, you know, platitudes. And then I saw, like, the, you know, the, the fangs come out behind the scenes. Everyone's super nice on camera. It just, it's two-faced. I had, I had no appetite for it. And so for church, I just let the business end of church be that, and I avoided the front row like the plague. Go back eight years, uh, seven years, eight years on volunteering at church. Um, I actually went to a membership meeting because I had to. And when the lady asked me, well, how long have you been coming here? I said, 22 years. Excuse me? 22 years. I've been going there since my early teens. And she kind of looked at me like, okay, thanks. Thanks for coming to class. That day, the head of security comes up, shakes my hand. This guy named Joe Walker. And he says, "Um, I need a wall. Excuse me? He's like, I need a wall for the pastor and his family. I'm like, okay. Took another two years before I actually started volunteering consistently. So I, I by all means, avoided every facet of responsibility inside the church. On the outside, was absolutely, you know, dancing the line as much as I could, still reading the words, still talking to God all the time, but I was trying to define my own path. God had other plans, thankfully. And then one day, I'm sitting there in the front row next to my pastor. He's about to go up on stage, and Holy Spirit just kind of had a little laugh at me. He's like, uh, where are you sitting right now? Right in the front row, bookend on the aisle. But all that to say, um, I, I've spent a lot of time in the church, and it wasn't until coming out here last year where uh, a friend invited me to basically speak at his house for a group of people about spiritual warfare, and this is something I've been doing for years. So waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, going out to pray, interceding on behalf of the church, doing it quietly, isolated, alone. Basically, as time progressed and as the prayer got angrier and angrier and deeper and darker and the spirit infills and all of a sudden I'm, I'm praying in what has been described to me as just a language of war. There's no love. There's no praise. There's just enmity and angst and anger at the enemy. I end up teaching a Bible study on spiritual warfare, I guess. So I'd read about it. I'd studied it. I just kind of thought I was God's monster doing my thing on the side, right? Like, I, I'm going to be back here doing things, all the nice people up front, you know, saying, singing songs and holding hands in Kumbaya. That, you, cool. Love it. Do it. You know, hand, you know, hands and feet of Christ. I wanted nothing to do with it. And if I would have stayed in California, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be speaking, I wouldn't be, you know, the, the Bible study, podcast, all these things that we've, we've done. Wouldn't have met in Thornton, this church. And so 
I'm amazed at what God's done. Um, I, uh, I'm laughing because even studying for this, it's, uh, my thing has always been kind of being isolated, I've, you know, in and out of relationships, still making time to just be on my own with God. Um, I've always sought God's heart. And when I looked at David, I realized, like, this guy was an a-hole. Like, think about it. He swung for the rafters either side. There was no in-between. There was The gas pedal was either all the way off or all the way down. And as soon as he made a mistake, the whole town knew about it. Like, he, he was on display making sure other people could learn from his mistakes. And if you think of the profundity of that, like, Come on, he's, he's a womanizer. He, he's, he's, a, he's a warmonger, whoremonger. Like all these things that, you know, you shouldn't be, even though he had far less wives than his son did, his son learned it from somewhere, right? I don't know, I'm just saying. Please don't follow my footsteps with that. I love you. Yeah, my son's here. But I, in studying this um, and going deeper, you know, certain passages have always resonated with me. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of angel armies. If you are alive right now, as Pastor Thornton will say, you're happening to the end times. The book of Revelations is being read out loud on social media and television everywhere you turn. If you think it's not, you're lying to yourself. If you think it's not, you're way too freaking comfortable and life is about to hand you your ass. Not just that. Everyone thinks like, oh, it's going to be a good thing to have a, sp have a legacy for my kids, right? I'm going to have a nice job. I'm going to have things, a house. I'm going to hand something down. What about the spiritual legacy? What, what are you handing them? The San Francisco Gay Men's Corral just came out with a video saying we're coming for your kids. Anyone miss that? It's all, it's all over social media right now. They're making light of the fact that their disdain and distance from God has been perfected to where they're speaking it to your face and there is no unified Christian response. Non-Christians are being more vocal against this than Christians are right now. The world is showing us how we're supposed to respond, at least vocally first. So what does that tell you? And I heard this, I heard this quote, and pastor, you just have to forgive me right now. Like, I, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little bit. Um, every demonic spirit running rampant in this country had to go through the church to get here. Every single demonic spirit, lust, greed, envy, Jezebel, you know, Cain, discord, enmity, strife, it had to go through the church to get here. Where were the church's gatekeepers and watchmen? Where were the pastors saying, I'm going to take men, train them, equip them, anoint them to the best of my ability, matched with the best of their desire. The Holy Spirit's going to do the rest. It's not there. The church became a country club. Business was good. Men loved to pay their dues. They pay their tithe. The wife loved to see the kids get dressed up and get to go have community with the nice, nice, sweet people on Sunday. 
And then the pastor, you know, helped them check the box for six days, and then they barely held on through Friday and Saturday, and thank God Sunday came. The pastors never told them, you guys are supposed to be the pastor six days a week. The country club closed last year. What happened to people? What happened to families? What happened to kids? What happened to the spirit of suicide? Graham, what, fivefold? Certain cities, the reports are up at sevenfold. It depends. San Francisco, uh, you know, what is it, uh, Vancouver? They have like weird Pacific Northwest, Northwest thing. I don't know, something there. You had domestic violence go up. Why is it that a man felt the only way he could actually contend with the reality of the days is to beat on his wife or significant other? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, we'll, we'll call it godlessness. We'll actually call it there's a lack of reverential fear. Nobody's afraid of what God's going to do right now. We show up to eat food. How many days a week are you running lean just to say, God, I'm seeking a position close to you more than I even desire food right now. I'm going to break things up here, by the way. Sorry. There's a phrase I heard. It's a military term. Go ugly early. And Isaiah hits it, and he's going to set the stage. I had like three pages typed up, so God, I hope I get through all this stuff. Um, first and foremost, uh, my wheelhouse is spiritual warfare. I, again, if, if it were up to me, I'd, I'd still be in the mountains or be, you know, back at home in Southern California just walking and praying. You guys are awesome. I'm just saying. God, God had different plans. But it, spiritual warfare isn't just real. It's raging. Show of hands, how many people daily, actively engage the enemy violently? Do you do it because... You want to or do it because you have to? Circumstances will put you in a corner, and you have to. Have to contend for your kids, your family, your job, your survival, money coming in, right? The attacks. But who does it just because it's fun? Who does it because they want to make the necklace of the enemy's teeth? Just offer up to God like, God, I did it. Here. What else? What else would you like me to do today? Men used to be feared. Christian men were crusaders. As, as, as jacked up as that whole path went, men still showed up to the cause because it mattered and it meant something, because their hearts were after God. Isaiah 59. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. And transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. But then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. 
For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. The coastlands he will fully repay. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Today, God willing, each man in this room will commit himself, will recommit himself to no longer commit treason against God and will stand in the gap and raise a standard. Look, look all around you. It's treason. Look at what the Comfort Country Club Church is saying. It's treason. Be joy, you know, there was a lesson on joy from a, a local church a few weeks ago. Like, listen, joy's... All these lessons from the Bible are absolutely requisite. But the season isn't about joy right now, is it? The season has changed. War drums are playing, and we're switching Netflix to see what can we watch. Sports got shut down, and now it's getting fired back up. Travel was shut down, now it's getting fired back up. Everyone's looking for another way to escape. But what do men of God do? We dig in. We abandon comfort, we go ugly early, we put on the armor, and we go on the offensive because we get to, because we want to, because we want to please our God. And by the way, what we're actually doing, because God doesn't respect any of us, but we're seeking his heart because we're seeking his justice and judgment. And this is, this was my two opening questions, I kind of blew past it, sorry. Everyone is called to battle, but some of us are called to war. And if God is intentional, why did he require the book of Judges to be in the Bible? Why are those lessons relevant? Why are they lifelong lessons, eternal lessons that have to be understood and remembered, studied, and then applied? How many times then did he send an angel or miracle versus use a man to bring justice? That's actually an answer for you guys to figure out. There's a third question at the end, but I already know the answer for myself. And what I see, and the reason why I'm so comfortable being isolated for men, so for years being in church security, I actually was considered, uh, the adjectives used on the outside were arrogant, pompous, too serious, too focused. Because I, I took the mission serious. I did it because I was in charge of precious cargo, wives, kids, and grandkids. The thing that the pastor wanted to remain intact the most when it wasn't just him, I had the honor and the privilege of guarding. And what did that mean? In Southern California, people are batshit crazy. Sorry. Like, you got lunatics coming out. The church is a hospital in and of itself. So one day, perfect example, my pastor, my main guy, this Hispanic guy comes from the back. I'm half Hispanic, so whatever. He's tatted up, he, got, he has, you know, spider webs on his elbows, he's, he's done time. He's doing this, right? It's all over, he's tweaking out he's on something. So me and this guy named Rob, he's a Long Beach cop. Uh, we both are like, okay, cool, pastor's here, our principal's here, I'm here, Rob's here. Guy's like, um, pastor, um, uh, I sacrifice animals for the devil, and I'm here at church. Within the course of fluttering around, the guy actually lifts up his shirt all the way around, moves his shorts, there's no weapon. So Rob and I are both like, okay, cool. You know, we give the sign, like, okay, cool. So we'll just kind of like stand back and just look to see what he does with his hands. Without hesitation, my guy's like, okay, cool. We're going to pray for you. Boom. 
most pastors would actually back up. I've seen pastors back up because pastors are a little afraid and timid of the real world outside because they've lived these sheltered little baby lives. But when the real shit comes inside the church, you're supposed to deal with it. You engage it head on. Okay, cool. Let's go. What are we doing in the streets when we see real shit happening? We saying, hey, c- hey, come here. We're, g- we're going to pray for you. In the name of Jesus, you're going to be all right. You see people freaking out. You see people mad and upset. You see inner cities torn apart. What are we doing? We're praying about it, right? We're also keeping distance. So it's three worlds that everyone is involved in, right? It's their inner city, their, their inner world, their cultivated, protected world. That's the world that we want to insulate ourselves and our family from. Right? That's why, that's why we work the jobs that we work. We live in the neighborhoods that we do. We drive what we have. We own the guns that we have. We train to the level that we want to be trained. That's our inner world. The, the outer world was affected by COVID, BLM, Antifa, all the things that were tearing up cities, families even. Because what I saw was absentee fatherhood. Why is it a bunch of crazy white kids are out there yelling at black people about Black Lives Matter? Sorry, like Oregon, not a big black population. Bunch of angry white kids just doing stupid shit. It's embarrassing. Where was the church? Why why didn't the church show up in droves even when National Guard was told to step back? Why didn't we get our hands dirty? Church is a country club. Church is, it's 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 a daycare. It's a nursery right now. And I'm saying this because I hope to God you leave here and you realize you can't just worry about yourself right now. The days of us worrying, the season has already changed. If we can't get together and call on the Holy Spirit to infill us and revive us to revive the world around us, this isn't coming back. Revival is coming regardless. That's revival on the way up. Or revival on the way down. It's coming. Personally, I'm a little excited for both. I'm just saying, like, flip a coin. I'm good. I also have a lot of guns, so. Praise God. All right, so got to my backstory. Uh, the fourth watch, what we've been doing. We basically, so I took what I've been doing for years and these fun people basically said, um, we need a website. We need someone to explain to other people outside of us that we're not crazy and it all makes sense. And so actually for the first time in my life, sat down, wrote out the website. Then we had an Instagram thing. They started doing posts. Then we have a podcast that we have content that I haven't even posted yet. And so basically this has been God kind of drawing me out and stretching me out saying, okay, cool. Let's step out. Let's do more. But I'm, the season isn't lost on me. Why was he working on me for 10 years behind the scenes just to emerge now. Again, I, I'm good. I can just as easily go back, huddle back, wait for everything to fall apart, and then make sure that me and mine are good. That's extreme, Steve. You can't call an entire community of those people extremists. That just became normal. And during abnormal times, an abnormal response actually becomes normal. I would, like to, I would like to think all of us can agree these are abnormal times. It requires an abnormal church 
with an abnormal response. But it's the same response God's called us to. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done first. This isn't of our own volition, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. I can train. I can do all these things. Guess what? I'm not relying on my physical strength. It's him. If he's not in me, rolling with me, if I don't offer all my BS on his altar every single day, every day, throughout the day, I'm at risk of distance from him at a time when we have to be on our guard, close, anointed, called. Every day that we go, that we don't offer up all of our baggage, all of our business on Christ's feet, that's pride that's going to build up. And what did we see last year? The spirit of offense took over the church. The spirit of fear came in like a wave. Where was the church's defense? Oh, sorry, guys. We'll go online. See ya. Oh, be safe. Yeah, that's, 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 that's cute. Let's be safe. There's, there's almost no response for it. And again, here, thank God this house didn't close. Both my houses back home closed. Both of them. Mic- mixed, mixed openings, soft openings, didn't, didn't advertise it. They tried to, you know, tap dance. When does God tap dance? When does God tap dance for men? God wasn't with the church. Or we weren't with him. The season has to change. The season outside has already changed. But the season has to change with you. Spiritual warfare is a choice. But it's also a calling and a process. Uh, one story, I'm in Jerusalem. First time I go, uh, it's a missionary trip. We're renovating bomb shelters in the north, and we get to tour the rest of the country. And my spiritual warfare game was on. All right, I'm fasting. I'm walking praying for, you know, 30 days minimum before that. I get there, and something's weird. I notice something's there, and I can't identify it. Something I've prayed against, but just, I, like, I know, like, something's weird. Something's off. Go through the whole trip. 11 days in country. I come back. It took me 30 days for this haze to lift. And the Holy Spirit finally said I was the spirit of the Antichrist. I just went to ground zero for spiritual warfare and had my ass handed to me. Had to happen. I needed it to happen. I needed to make sure because God was calling me back there several times that the next time I went, so next time I go, it's with a friend of mine. <clears throat> He's what I call a grandiose Christian. He had to do this big move for God in order to feel, you know, that God's talking to him and God's close. God showed up for him. God gave him a whole blueprint of what he was supposed to do. He nailed it. It was great. But as I was touching ground, we took separate flights in. I literally remember looking out that window as I'm landing at the airport, and all I see is this red dragon that was turned this way, all of a sudden turned my way and just... In Israel, you can talk about God until you're blue in the face. The moment you mention Jesus Christ, I hope you know Krav Maga. <laughs> uh, even the women will actually hand it to you. Yeah. So that was, that was a great lesson for me, but what, is that, what did that teach me? I wasn't contending with God. The Bible calls us to contend with God, to ask for wisdom. I wasn't contending. Or he needed that lesson to be learned a certain way. Make no mistake, I didn't need to learn the lesson twice. After that, the uh, second time I started leading others in praying, uh, the last time was two years ago, right, uh, right before 
I was actually about to go as COVID shut down. But the last time I was there with the group, uh, I was leading a missionary team. And when I went to go walk around the city, five of us went out to pray. And seven stayed in the hotel room, all awake and praying from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. Seven days prior, we're in Naharia. Some drama had happened with two of the girls. One was a recent Catholic convert. One was a 25-year-old girl who just got out of a relationship with a guy that was also on the missionary team with us. Yeah, that's, that's not a recipe for anything at all. So next thing you know, uh, the former Catholic girl is acting weird. The other girl is almost in a coma lying on her side. Uh, the other team leader, female, calls, wakes me up. We go in. We start praying. She anoints my hand. She puts oil in my hands. She anoints other two women that came in to help pray. And as I'm standing there about 15 minutes into it, all of a sudden I see a shadow over my left shoulder. scurrying footsteps, scratches, claw marks, actually went out the front door, out the hallway, out the front door, up the pathway, and agitated every cat and dog for what seemed like half a mile going up that street. Everyone woke up. What was that? Everyone in that room heard something different. One woman heard thunder, one woman heard a, a scratch or a, some sort of you know, animal making a, a painful sound. And I was just like, I just smacked a demon out of a wall. <laughs> it's freaking rad. What's next, God? Let's do it. <laughs> and again, you know, I, I, I'm high on my own supply for a second. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm back. I'm fine. Sorry, forgive me. We're good. Wh why did God show me that? There's a physical component to what we're doing. And it's not just laying of hands. It's not just praying. I've always been a physical guy. God's had me where he's wanted me. God's built me. If you understand, my dad's barely six feet tall in cowboy boots. My mom's 5'3 or 5'2 now. I'm an anomaly. I've got the mailman's eyes, right? Like, I, I, I shouldn't be. Sorry, sorry. We can't speak of things in church. So everyone on that last missionary team, um, during the trip, everyone was spiritually afflicted. After the trip, you know, a little after action report, everyone basically said, um, that was the craziest thing we've ever seen or experienced in our spiritual lives. So the day that we're walking around Jerusalem, the five of us are outside, seven are in the hotel room, other people are praying for us back in California because this whole trip had gone sideways. So many things had gone wrong. And what do we hear as we walk up to the gates and start walking around the outside? Every single dog, cat, donkey, animal, everything all around the outside of the city was agitated, barking, meowing, wailing, so what we had all heard seven days prior, God showed us, said, hey, you hear it? The enemy was afraid. It's probably the only time, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've never seen another human being out walking around and praying from 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. I love women in the prayer closets. I love men at home, like, oh, I'm going to wake up and pray. I'm just going to get some food, and maybe check the news too. I don't know, maybe. I'm not, I'm not special. I'm not gifted. I'm not, I'm, I'm not anything other than what God made me. But I'm the only a-hole out there that's that pissed off to where my bed doesn't matter. My comfort doesn't matter. The food doesn't matter. The drink doesn't matter. I can drink a bottle. He seen me drink a bottle of scotch in one day, and I felt fine. Thank God. Could have died. Comfort's a killer. 
Everywhere you turn outside this room, outside this church, every street you go to, you're going to see a bunch of comfortable people doing comfortable things, trying to mind, you know, numb their way through everything. And what's God saying? Wake up! I need you to be awake at a time when everyone else is sleeping. Revive yourself before I revive you, because you don't want the latter to come true first. The whole world is about to get waken up. The church is about to get shaken and hung upside down. All the people stealing. All the people have used it for sex, for money, for fame, for all these things. Judgment is coming first for the church. Then everyone else. God's going to clean house. And when he does, you're going to see it all played out. All the different villainry, all the different, oh, see, I told you so. Oh, those people. They just wanted to write us dollar bills. And what are we doing? We're just turning the channel. We just go to a different church. Oh, when the trans people come to our kids' schools, we just keep our kid out of school that day. Never mind, we're letting all the other kids get affected by all the different cross-dressers and everything that's showing up. So guess what? Our spiritual legacy, you're, you're, you're teaching them to hide? I, Pastor, can you tell me where in the Bible? That, oh, there's nothing there. It has a, yeah. Listen, I'm, I, I'm just offering this right now. If what we don't do in the next, I'll even say year, plays out, we don't have 10 years. What are we handing to our kids? What, are, what, what kind of bad report are we giving God where we're afraid of the giants, social media giants, the political giants, all the other false church giants? Synagogues of Satan, whatever you want to say. It's all in the book of Revelations there. What are we teaching our, our, our next generation? You have no legacy. Good luck, kid. Another military term, K-Mag-Yo-Yo. Anyone know that? Kiss my ass, guys. You're on your own. We're saying that to our kids. Think about that. Every time you want to avoid conflict that God's put in your way, Every time you think that you have no posture, no voice, and that God isn't with you in a certain thing because society is so overwhelmingly one way, you just said that to our kids. Why are we leaving our giants to the kids? Not that they're not equipped and capable and their potential isn't there, but why are we leaving our duty on the table and expecting God to just tidy up things and hand it back to us? Ask yourself why sweat equity doesn't have to be learned. Why does every single man value the labor of the man next to him that's equal or greater to his own? It's in our DNA. That's not a lesson you even have to learn at school. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God with a concept of sweat equity inside you from birth. How much, are willing, how much of us are, are willing to put in the sweat? You can stay in bed. Three o'clock and hit, you can stay in bed. No Bible, no breakfast. Powerful, right? So you wake up at five, wake up at six, wake up whenever, you know, before your day, make that time for the word. Wake up at three. Steve, that's three hours. I had, yeah. Three hours you get to pray and make a collection of the enemy's teeth. Take everything that's happened to you in your life and the people in your life. Show of hands. 
anyone in the room have a friend or family member that's been raped? Do you know that you have not just emotional and a mental, but a spiritual enemy of wretchedness that you'd like to roll over every single day and kick back to shield? How much is wretchedness playing a hand in other kids' lives, other women's lives? Do we call it out for what it is? What, what about any sort of uh, cheating, marriage or relationships, adultery, lust? Do we wage a spiritual war against that after it's happened to us because we have skin in the game and it's, it's, it's personal? Do we wage war on that on behalf of other people in the church? It's happening everywhere. You've got TV shows that celebrate polygamy, that celebrate affairs. What the affair is some, you know, three, four seasons on some cable channel. It's being celebrated, and all we're doing is saying, like, oh, we're just going to turn the channel. Oh, we're going to unsubscribe. Before God comes and puts us in a position of rendering physical judgment, which it's coming. What do you think endure means? Just spiritual enduring? Come on. Before that happens, we have an opportunity to wage war against the enemy, an onslaught against the enemy every day and affirm each other in the word and in the process. Go out and walk in pairs, walk in teams, walk in groups. But we're not doing it. If we want revival, it has to start with us. If we want strength, it has to start with us. But it's going to be to revive others and to bring strength to others. That gay chorus thing, by the way, that was crazy. Like, anyone see it? Show of hands. Anyone see it? Know what I'm talking about? You have to Google it. It's, it's literally a bunch of men smiling, saying, we're coming for your kids. It's a whole, like, mosaic in the screen. What, what, if, we, what if we went out and say, uh, uh, we held up a bunch of guns, right? Take a hundred of us with pictures, you know, video. Hey, we're coming for you gay people. Man, if we could do like a Christian SNL, like a whole parody thing, but just like, oh, I think we might need to. Praise God. I know, right? My man. Okay, so I'm going to give you something too, which is going to, I'm jumping around. Thanksgiving last year. I'm going to explain to you the power of what happens when you go out, abandon comfort, and pray in force. I had a revelation for my son the day before, so I'm going to explain to you that each one of you has a spiritual gas tank of love and of hate. Both my gas tanks were overfilling, and the enemy was going to suffer dearly. So we go out, and uh, I think it was five of us. God was a sixth man that day. It's Thanksgiving morning. People are about to get happy and fat and watch sports or do whatever they do on Thanksgiving. <coughs> Dutch Sheets, two days later, uh, posted this on his little given 15. said, on the morning of November 28th in Dream, I saw Independence Hall and the large clock tower. An angel came and stood on top of the clock tower. And he shouted, when the clock strikes 3 a.m., Valkyrie will fall and will not sing if the sons of the kingdom will pray. I then saw fervent prayer taking place in the night and through the night, and it caused a witchcraft and curse to bounce back to the sender. 
There was then another group of warriors awakened, clothed in battle array, who were surrounded and led by a host of angels. One of the angels declared repeatedly, the commander's judgments are supreme. It energized the warriors, and they joined in with the declaration. I then saw the scales of justice tip and became perfectly balanced. I'm nothing special. Dutch Sheets got the after-action report of what we did Thursday morning. Two days later, he saw in the spirit what I know for a fact we did that day. And if you knew the, f the, f the, f the people that went, there's nothing special. There's, 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 no, there's no academic, theological position or posture behind it. There's just a heart to serve God and to wage war. It's the season. If you can't season, see the season for what it is, you need to go back home. You might not even want to come back to this church. If you're not even raising your kids to understand the battle that's going on outside of us, that's the worst, that's the worst type of lying. It's the worst type of parenting. We can't insulate our kids and think that we can give them a financial legacy when a spiritual legacy has been sold. Harlotry sells our legacy. What does the book of Revelation say about the harlot? What does the Bible say about the harlot? There's a point where the harlot, who was getting paid for doing what the harlot did, all of a sudden became the cheating wife who did it for free. The church has taken in money, not equipping the saints, not banging the war drums. They'll continue doing it for free just to stay open. You have to understand the season has changed. This whole message is about the season changing. Fourth watch is our biblical call to prayer in the darkest hours before the dawn. Talk about the last millennium, right? You've been on it for a while. If you understood that all of human history has never before been on 2 Timothy chapter 3 at the same time, it's never happened. And I've said this to our group repeatedly, and I, I need to read it out for you guys right now. And then I'll tell you how it happened. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people will turn away. For of this sort are those that creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Those are 20, 20 specific items that if you travel the globe right now, Asia, Europe, Mexico, South America, the same story is being played out everywhere. And if you know anything about history, it's never happened before. So how did it happen now? America gave the world three things. The internet, cable news, and reality TV. The whole world got drunk on our Kool-Aid. The whole world soaked in all of our Americana. People had fortunes made on it. You know how many versions of all of our reality TV shows are played out in other countries? We've accelerated depravity at such a scale and the world celebrates us for it. And guess what's going to happen? The world is going to celebrate when we go down. It's already in the book. If you look in the book of Revelation, I hate to, hate to surprise you, but America is not in it. 
Go deeper, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm going to hit you a few more things, which is, you know, really lighthearted from here. There's, there's a text, uh, there's a quote by a guy named Phil Messina. He's a retired NYPD. He's a defensive taxes instructor. He's a solid dude. But I'm going to give you our mission statement, if you'll subscribe to it. When young men seek to be like you, when lazy men resent you, when powerful men look over their shoulder at you, when cowardly men plot behind your back, when corrupt men wish you were gone and evil men want you dead, only then will you have done your share. Where, where are we at with that? Does any of that apply to the Christian man, 2021? I mean, I, I might be God's only asshole, but I'm just saying. Show of hands. Who wants to be what that quote describes? The world calls that toxic. Our own media calls that. Churches call that toxic. The skinny jeans scream, that's toxic. I, I, I need to impress something upon you. The church has taught us to love people so much that we no longer love God more than people. That is treason against God. Treason. Against, we're looking at our politicians spending money left and right. We have to call that for what it is. That's treason. They're enacting laws, and guess what? The damage from those laws and those mandates are going to be long withstanding no matter who takes office from here in perpetuity. The damage will be done. Look at it this way. Unless God shows up with a miraculous sense of favor for his people who've already stood up, today is the very best that we can ever get back to. That means until the church, the men of God, first step up and start leading. And start leading because that's the church. The church isn't the four walls. Until the men of God step up and put aside all divisiveness, all divisions, and turn the entertainment off. God's not showing up. I'll take out five people. I'll do what Dutch Sheet said all day long. I'm good with that. Again, revival on the way up, revival on the way down. I just want more people at the party. I just, I think it'd be fun. He makes good food, so he's in. When principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then the battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. Before friend and enemy. We love Christians. We love them, right? We love people. We hate the sin. But our convictions have to be on display because we never know who's watching. But now, our convictions have to go on the offensive. I'm going to lay out the spiritual plan, which absolutely has to start with each one of you individually. And there's a whole separate 
plan two. There's a, there's a part two to this that's a very physical, real plan. And the Holy Spirit kind of stopped me and said, okay, cool, now that we have that on paper, we're going to focus on this part first because if they can't get through this first leg, they have no business being part of the second leg. Revival has to start with you. I love this. Bon Jovi has to be three quarters of the way there at this point. Sorry. That had to work. And this is, this is the part, though, that, that hits. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. But it's not for our glory, it's for Christ's. No one fears God. And very few people are glorifying Christ on the streets. Even that long-haired guy, Sean Fuchs. I, don't, I, can't, I can't say his last name without cussing. Sorry, I just I don't know how to read it. Like, he's going around having all these, like, mission, these, like revival, like, worship services, and, they're blowing out, and the cops are trying to shut them down left and right. Love that. We have to start affronting society in order for society to turn aside. Society isn't afraid of us. They don't need to be afraid of men, but they have to fear God because we know what's coming when they don't. But do we fear God as much as we should? Because if we're honest, most guys don't even want to hear a message that calls out their activities and convicts them because that requires action. And they think by not hearing what that convic- what's, what's convicting them, they don't have to do it and actually come clean with Christ. And guess what? Separation. The Holy Spirit cannot indwell someone that isn't righteous and isn't holy. God will use everything. God will use the evil of this world to get his plans done. But I would rather be on the same team and on the same page with him. Not just being used, but being an instrument, pleasing to God. You have to evaluate what you want. Because this whole season of of playing the harlot, you're actually selling out your family. Every engagement that we don't take on, we're selling out our kids and our our future legacy. There's not going to be an America for them to even enjoy. Even then, if there was, we're not supposed to love our lives unto death. It's just not supposed to happen. So don't love your comfort unto laziness. Choice is yours. We don't war according to the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.3. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's a show called Lucifer. Did anyone exalt, you know, God above that? Did anyone write into the TV station and say, what the F are you doing? You're romanticizing some really wicked shit right now. Do we need to come to your front doorstep with guns and pitchforks? Do we need to flip this on you? Like, you're agitating God. And at some point, guess what? Men's hearts will already be agitated. God is going to use men. Isaiah 10, woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, who didn't have a heart for violence, yet I will give him one. Assyria was a country outside of Israel. God was already trying to work on the men's hearts inside Israel. So no matter what, the rod of his anger is coming. So we do not war according to the flesh until we do. 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Until you handle your own business before God, your character before God has to be intact. Only then are you ready to punish all disobedience. I'm ready to hand the spirits that have been having their way with this world, I'm ready to hand them their ass and their papers to kick them back to Sheol, just like Leonidas did in the movie 300, into that pit every single day. We wrestle not, which means we have a bunch of demonic sparring partners. Let's take them to the mat every single day. And let's be joyful about it because every single day they're messing with us. That means there are people they're not messing with. Let's keep them occupied. Let's keep them busy. Let's make them afraid again. Make America great again? Make the devil afraid again. He's not afraid of the church. He's in the church. Devil goes to church every day. You can't truly call yourself peaceful unless you're capable of great violence. If you're not capable of violence, you're not peaceful. You're harmless. You're nothing. I'm nothing. Each day I don't wake up and show up for God, I didn't earn my breakfast. There are days I totally fall and falter. By no means am I saying, look at me in my spiritual excellence. I'm just saying that it's real and it's something we're striving for. And if you're not striving and contending, what are you doing? The last statement for us is something that I, I threw at the pastor. It's been on me for a couple months, but love what God loves and hate what God hates. Think about the simplicity of that. Think about how complicated the devil's made the world, right? All the options. The church is a church of options. The television, the television of options. The world, the world of options. Sexuality now, a pantheon of options. Love what God loves, hate what God hates. Like a big cookie cutter that you just keep taking over all the things that are in your life, all the thoughts that come in, and anything that falls outside of that cookie cutter, God doesn't want you to focus on. It can still be there, just not with you. You're focused on a spiritual path of bringing in and ushering in God's justice and judgment, which means you can't be part of the world. You can't be there. You can't play games. You can't be on the fence. You can't look to other people and see what they have and what they do and see that they're on the fence and be, think that that's somehow cool. We have to be men of the book. We serve a God that's Old Testament God and New Testament God. We love people. We hate the sin. But we better damn well speak up when we start seeing these things play out in our streets. We can't speak up until we've dealt with the sin within ourselves. The hidden sin, the covered sin, the things that we don't talk about to other men that we repent about, that we don't offer but Christ's fate, because all of a sudden, like, oh shit, became too real. Oh God, did, did you see that? Did you see that? You saw that. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later. Now, deal with it now. As soon as something comes up, and then guess what? Use these words sin, devil, I hate you. Hate the things that you compulsory do. All the things that keep coming back into action, back into the fold, hate it. But speak the hatred. See the hatred. Think hating thoughts towards it. You can't serve two masters. You must love God and hate the other. 
And church says, the country club says, hating's bad. No, we love. Oh, Jesus is love. Jesus is great. Sweet baby infant Jesus, he's, he's going to be there for you. It's great. Everyone's love. Everyone's salt and light. Listen, there is no gay Jesus. Dude, you gave me a revelation Wednesday. You told me that half the musicians in black church are gay. Dude, that, that floored me. Where's Chad? I'm praying for you, bro. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're so great. It doesn't matter. It's great. Everything's great. Gay Jesus is here to say everything's great. Everyone's love. All right, so I'm going to hit you guys with something. Where's my black people? If you're black, raise your hand. Not black where it counts, dude. Come on. That's, that's a totally separate story. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, ah, oh, come on. All right, so... So this isn't the first time I've, I've said this. I've actually bounced this off of like seven or eight of my close friends, like close friends. But it's the first time I'm going to say it publicly. I was watching a video by Derek Prince, and he called out the spirit of bondage. I'd always read it, the spirit of bondage. They're like, oh, yeah, like you're, you know, you're in bonds, right? It's like sin's a bond. It's a spirit of slavery. Has the black church forgiven everyone that was involved in slavery and then repented for harboring resentment against those people. If they have, their slate is clean and they can go forward. If they haven't, their house will be plagued and riddled with everything that will bring it down. I'm telling you right now, all of us have something that the enemy keeps coming to us with keeps afflicting us with, keeps drawing. It's porn, it's sex, it's lust, it's money, it's greed, it's power, it's, it's any number of different things. All of us have experienced that spirit trying to gain a foothold in our life, but that spirit has a foothold in the church. When I asked my friends about this, they said, oh, we don't talk about that. Everything's on the table. If we can't talk about these things, especially amongst men, what are we going to do? Guess what? That legacy then, how long has the black church harbored that? How long have we individuals harbored that spirit and danced with that spirit? Which, guess what? Sin isn't contained to you. Sin, once it occurs, is like a pillow of feathers that you cut open and the wind takes it. Your wife, your girlfriend, your parents, your kids, your grandkids... Your friends, your coworkers, your boss. The moment we sin, we think it's just contained because repentance just happens between us and God. How many, by show of hands, when you repent, do you say, Holy Spirit, please show me the damage that this caused? Please show me the people that this affected because I know I was used as a gateway and a foot in the door for something else to get on the people that I love. Something else again, the people that have some sort of authority over me. Boom. Every single repentance from here going forward, God's now going to hold you accountable for the collateral damage that you inadvertently caused and didn't ask for wisdom on to repent for. 
and then to stand in the gap and pray against it. I want you guys to champion this. I will support you however I can. I want every man in this room to champion this. That thing that keeps coming for you in the night. Your kids have a thing that keeps coming for them when their guard is down. Talk about it. Be open about it. Kill it. Take it to the mat every single day, not just for yourself, but for every other person that you're close to that's afflicted with anything remotely similar. You have a legal right. If the enemy keeps coming for you, if you're tempted, you fall into sin, you repent, if the enemy keeps coming, take that back to God and say, okay, I'm done with this. I need permission. Can I have his throat? I need permission. Can I take out his kneecaps? I need permission. Can I break off its jaw, chain it to a tree, and have angels sing worship songs all day long for it? We can't be these nice, polite, lovey-dovey Christian men. The same DNA that's in us was in every single man that came before us. You want to know the stages of society? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a might-based or warrior-based, nomadic-based society that then leads to an honor-based society. We honor the exploits and the strength of those that came before us, right? Then it comes to a dignity-based society where we no longer have to have these exploits. We just respect everyone because they're alive. Then it goes to a victim-based society and then an uber-victim society where the victims are actually transacting on their, on, their, on their plight. And then what happens historically? Reset. The strong man comes to enter the house. And maintains his house until one stronger comes. You can't tell me the stage isn't set for. <laughs> Man, I'm about to say, yeah. Yeah. All, all, these, all these people that are, are, are burning down cities in the name of a cause, burning down their own neighborhoods when they riot, white people included, right? Like, I have. <laughs> You can't tell me, you know, you take 15 of us with guns in to clean up that they won't just run. They're cowards. You don't burn down your own cities or someone else's stuff because you have power. There's no power in that. They're powerless. It's lawlessness. And for every member of law enforcement in this room that thinks that we can somehow can't make a physical affront, what comes after a wave of open homosexuality? Open, you know, divorce proceedings, right, where kids are now fair game. California, there's a law where you can have consenting sex with a kid down to 10 years of age. Lawlessness is the natural progression of where this ends. And guess what? How many cops are still going to be cops when lawlessness is poured out? They're going to resign, and guess what? It's down to us, so guess what? It's already happened, so why don't we step in the gap now and at least engage this to the measure that we can before we have to get our hands dirty and bloody. Revival on the way up or revival on the way down. We pour out ourselves spiritually in prayer now against the enemy and we shore up the church, we shore up each other, we go on the offensive or we do so, we're still going to do that, but then we add guns and ammo to the equation afterwards. Listen, I, I can't speak for every man in this room. We have no idea what we're going to do when that moment comes to our doorstep.
some of us carry in this room. Some of us are, you know, not trained at all. But again, it's like even our, even our families, we, we carry to protect others. We love God. We love what God loves and hate what God hates. How many in this room have practiced hatred towards sin? The church has never told you to, by the way. The Bible does. If you're the pastor six days a week and you think that you somehow get a pass on hating evil to the point that you don't engage it vigorously, aggressively, daily, sometimes hourly, we might be reading different Bibles. I, you could say Steve is an angry person. You could say that. So I was like the fattest, happiest kid growing up. Like I was like the most happy-go-lucky. Like I just loved it. I want to be a veterinarian, right? I'm five years old, and all of a sudden I start having these dreams of war. It's a future version of myself, though. And I'm seeing violence played out. I'm eight years old. I finally see G.I. Joe. Shit. Uh, I know this. What do you mean you know this? A weirdo? I've seen this my dreams. Through God's grace, I've been on a collision course with a future version of myself. And only by the Holy Spirit's wisdom have I seen how this plays out and where we end up. I have no concept of the time. All I can tell you right now is as God's explained it to me. He needed me to understand what's coming so that when it happens, I can stand differently. I'm not going to be blindsided or surprised by the shit hitting the fan, but it also puts the onus on me to embrace it, engage it, and train for it accordingly. I have to walk differently because of it. I have to lead him differently because of it. I have to pray differently for my church because of it. I have to be a watchman for my church and a gatekeeper for my church and for those in my life differently because of it. I have to lead others because of him who led me. I have to strengthen others because of him who strengthened me. If I don't, I'm squandering how he made me, fearfully and wonderfully made. Not quietly, timidly, and hidden. Stop hiding. Get pissed. The only reason why Jesus is coming back in the end is because he personally, he can't take it anymore. That's how pissed off he is. He comes back to wreak vengeance. Even the Quran says that Jesus is the one to come back and and take vengeance. When you ask a Muslim, well, technically... In order to be justified to carry out vengeance, you have to be grieved. You have to have some sort of legal precedence, right? You have to have some sort of reason that's, that's justifying your anger at the end. They don't talk about that, but we know what that is. Every single day, every soul that's led astray, that takes Christ's sacrifice for our sins for granted, that's on the ledger. Every day that we go out, in the streets, and we see these things happening on TV, social media, and we don't speak up, and we don't take action, it's on our ledger. I want my ledger clean. In fact, I, again, we can't earn God's respect. I have no misconceptions of that whatsoever. I love people. We try and feed people, right? We have a feeding ministry. We're trying to love on people as much as we can to show the love of Christ. But guess what? I hate the sin so much that Things that are personal to me, I have a legal right because I've gone to God and say, I want the throat of every single enemy that's come for me. Over and over and over, as new ones pop up, I want that. 
hopefully, if I'm trusted enough, he'll give me Leviathan's throat. Systemic evil. What's happening in our nation. And a handful of us know, so we basically, I've been going out praying, right? So I walk and pray, lay hands on buildings. Steve, that's weird. Why do we lay hands on people? Why not on buildings? When are we going to realize that cosmic geography has to be retaken? The enemy has advanced into every single facet of this country, and we have to go on the offensive joyfully, willingly, and often. But it's up to you. If you're not capable of violence, you're not peaceful, you're harmless. I hope that sinks in. Satan's WMD, weapons of mass distraction. I think that's self-explanatory. How many before COVID broke out was sports your thing? No judging, just you, you love sports, you love football, baseball, that was your thing. You talk about it, cool talk. UFC, UFC, anyway, UFC, tell a few people. There are so many different things to distract us. We have to be done with it. We have to put the kid toys away. We have to put the milk away. It's time for meat. It's time to be sharpened. You have to cast every, aside everything that distracts us from the knowing and applying what God loves and hates. So this is all treason against God. We've covered that. Making the enemy suffer. The first attack has to happen within you. Everything within you. Repent, forgive, make yourself a living sacrifice, repeat. Romans 12.1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We're supposed to serve God. Military? Service? Didn't the captain of the Lord's armies appear before Joshua as a, you know, preeminence of Christ? So if we're going to make the enemy suffer... You have to change your footing on the word and his promises. The devil can't kill God's anointing on you if you refuse to die. You can't quench what the spirit kindles. Pain is fear leaving the body. The pain of sacrifice and discipline of prayer. And then there's the prayer for more. Enemy comes in like a flood, right? Messes with you, your family. There's no praying for help. More. We're going to get sadistic. More. More. Give me your worst. You give me more trials. God gives me more strength. You give me more adversity. God gives me more anointing. You give me more pressure. God gives me more threshold and tolerance. More. I want more. Give me more. Give me the giants. Give me your worst because God will give me more. The days of us trying to just fight where we're at are done. We want to be buried, have all the enemy ranks, empty hell on us so they're not affecting other people. It's a good time waiting to happen. If you like that sort of thing. I'm, again, I'm a little sadistic. I got like two or three things left. Sorry, it's going long. Uh, my grandfather taught me one thing. Prisoner of war, World War II. He was a bomber pilot. Shot down on his 25th mission. If he would have survived that, 26, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. He could have sat on base, gone back to the state, whatever. Bernberg, Germany gets shot down. Ten and a half months. Two death marches in the snow. He elects to go up to the front. Most of, the, most of the captives were killed off in the marches. And I'm the only one that he talked to about his time in service. And he, he said, the only way I survived was by pouring all of my hatred into the enemy in front of me. Listen, 
Every single church in this country is going to tell you about love. But you have to be on a steady diet of hate to understand God's heart. If you're not, you're lying to yourself. If you're not, you're comfortable with gay Jesus coming out, saying he loves everyone, right? The Arizona statue talked about. The world is perverting the word and the image of Christ. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's time that we remind the world of our maker. And then the principle of it's already happened. Ecclesiastes 3.15. What has been is the past. What will be is the past. And the Lord requires an account of it all. What does that mean? God's already seen the end. He's seen how jacked up this gets and we're still here. He's seen how jacked up you've been and you're still here. God's seen all the depravity of the past. He's seen all the depravity that's awaiting our families and our kids, our society and our culture, and he still left us here. He hasn't come down to evacuate us. Why do you think he's so pissed off at the end? It's already happened, which means you're already dead. You're already in heaven. There is no prayer in heaven. So while you're here, be poured out. Prayer first, then something else. Train accordingly all the way until God decides to take you. But there's no prayer in heaven, which means if you're standing on the sidelines thinking, oh, once I get free time, once I actually get a moment to stand back and actually engage God, I'll do it. You're in the nosebleeds. You have no authority when you're there unless he gives it to you. But you have all authority here in the name of Jesus Christ. Use it. This shit that's playing out everywhere, if it's not stirring you to rage in prayer, and guess what? Here's the goal. You pray so aggressively at the enemy and even God to the point that he has two options. He either honors your prayer or he kills you. That's where we are. That's where men of the book are. That's where Joshua and Caleb were. That's where David was. A man after God's own heart, which means if you're not there, are we after God's own heart? Are we after God's comfort? You got to stop lying to yourself. I'm not saying, by the way, it applies to anyone in this room, right? Listen, uh, turn the other cheek versus buy a sword. So I'm going I'm to demystify this for you, and God strike me dead. I, I don't want to overspeak. Pastor, correct me. Jesus said to turn the other cheek when people are questioning and doubting your faith and the resolve of your fortitude of your faith. Love, people hate the sin. But Jesus said, now that I leave, take a purse, take a bag, take a cloak, but if you don't have your sword, sell your cloak and buy a sword which means when people are coming for your life because of your faith to take you out because they don't like what you have to say in the God that you serve, you have swords. If no man in this room has a gun, we can find places for you to buy them, and then I will personally train you on them. If you deny what Christ said there, you might as well throw out everything. If you don't want that version of Christ... Be honest with yourself. I've made an idol of the Christ that loves and does and comforts and brings joy. All idols dead, killed off because that's Satan that's crept in and kept you from laying that image of Christ at his feet. 
The church isn't going to tell you this. The church isn't going to tell you that hate is something you're supposed to foster and build up. But the Bible says, love one and hate the other. And if we love one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Heart, you feel hate. Mind, you think hate. Soul, this guttural, like you believe in it. It's a justified hatred. And strength, are you training to carry out that hatred? What if, flash forward, the book of Revelation reveals that there are demons walking out in broad daylight, raping and pillaging and taking. The last days would be like the days of Noah. The watchers came down and just raped women, gave us giants, Nephilim, Raphaim. The last days are going to be the same. Who wants to kill demons? You have to think these thoughts first. You have to train this way first. Every time that you get this comfortable sensation, just drop down and do 10 push-ups. You, you want to discipline yourself? Don't wait for prayer. Don't wait for your morning time. Don't wait for your night time. Prioritize God first and all throughout the day. Something comes up, 10 push-ups. 20, 20 for you. I see you. Got that Superman shirt on, I'm just saying. You can't roll like that and not expect it. So in case anyone ever tells you uh, that pushes against you, because if you start talking like this, people are like, oh, my gosh, don't say that. You're, you're, you're extreme. A whole community of extremists becomes normal. A whole community speaking like this, sharpening others, we're not extreme. The news is going to call us all sorts of things. Let them. Celebrate it. It's not an either-or statement. It's an and statement. Turn the other cheek and buy a sword and carry it, too. Maybe carry a spare freedom seeds while you're at it, just saying. Yes, Jesus died for our sins, but he wasn't a hapless victim. It was self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice and enduring are very different. Even though God may require both at a time of his choosing, if you, the post-Christian American, want to die and your family to die so the world can continue sinning, by all means, go ahead. God still loves you, but you've already taken yourself out from being used. And you all have to understand that's treason to God and man. If you see someone sinning and don't warn them of their ways, what does the Bible say? Don't be a dick about it. Right? Have, being, being the imager of Christ is that we have his attitude about these things. We approach people with salt and love until we might have to approach them a little differently. When you got 50, 100 gay guys saying we're coming for your kids, okay, you should do that. Sometimes I don't think they understand what they're saying. Oh, but that's right, Romans 1. So the devil blinds, and then the Lord gives them over to a debased mind. You're seeing a debased mind everywhere, and what are you doing about it? I'm going to turn the channel. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to take my kids out of school. Guess what? All the other kids that are staying in school for the drag queen fest, they're the ones infested. Rome is coming to America, to a city near you. You're not going to have schools to go back to. Your kids, you want to homeschool and have a job? Good luck. Thank God my kid's 19 and has a job because that, dude, I love you, but I couldn't homeschool you. We'd kill each other. We'd actually probably, like, shoot each other for real. Good like that. All right. Sorry, guys. I know it's going long. I'm glad you ate. You're all weighted down. New, uh, new wine 
requires new wineskin. It's time to get drunk. The Lord poured out his cups, his wine cups of vengeance, wrath, and fury. It's coming anyways. I want my fill. I want more than my fill. I want every man in this room to be overflowing with that fill. Because I want us to be men of the book. Men after his own heart. We sing about new wine. We just sang a song this weekend, I think, about new wine. We pray and ask for new wineskins, stretched and made new, but this renewing isn't for children. The world will grow frustrated as the church grows in strength because this is the wine others can't drink. And the old wineskins can't hold what God's about to pour out. The world is drowning confusion from options and almost like feeling whack-a-mole, but our value system has to get back to loving what God loves, hate what God hates. Stand in the gap, remain watchful. Before we can deal vigorously with the political treason happening in the country, we have to deal treacherously with our own treason against God. Take it out back and kill it. Every single time that you start sinning, take it out back. It's old yeller. It's rabid. It's rabid. It's got to go down. You can't engage any of this without leaving it at Christ's feet. Spiritual violence isn't a distant notion, even an obligation, but it's heavenly audacity. It's kazakamats. It's the great duty and privilege of every God-fearing Christian man with a pulse and a sense of reality that this isn't just slipping away. It's being taken from us. The enemy is taking everything wholesale. Church isn't stopping it. For every father, grandfather, and future father in this room, engaging in spiritual warfare is our best attempt at leaving a spiritual legacy for our bloodline, not just fleeting comforts that are always a moment away from being taken. And I, I'll be honest, the, the altar of God is entirely too lean on offerings from his mighty men. Interpersonal offerings. Who you are, God sees you anyways. You want to be hidden, you want to be stoic, you want to be strong. It's his strength. It's not ours. The strongest men I know leave everything on the field. Everything is poured out. Nothing is withheld. The strongest men deal with everything inside because they know it can't go where we're supposed to go. God can't be with us if we're trying to hold on to these things, thinking this is what makes us. By the way, all those things that you're carrying on to might even be legal right against the enemy to go and wage attack. You don't see it that way. You just see it like you're struggling. You see it like, oh, I'm just dealing. Oh, I'm trying to be relevant, relevant to my kids. I'm trying to lead my kids. I'm trying to be a good husband. I'm trying to be a good father. Stop trying. Society is trying itself to death. So revival, justice, and judgment are all happening either way, but the reality of whether it happens on the way up or the way down is entirely up to us. So the last question, are you done being entertained? The Roman Empire gave the masses games and circus, but the Roman citizens never realized they were the clowns. Whole stadiums filled. The clowns were in the seats the entire time. There's a second part to this message with real work and real initiatives, but we have to get to this first. And for the sake of today's message, there are three types of posture towards God's will that I need each of you to understand. There are men that accept God's will will happen. There are men that expect it to happen. And then there are men that cause it to happen. Which do you want to be? The world is surprised that it happens. 
Let's be men of the word, men capable of great violence, only withheld by the Holy Spirit's restraint. And this is my last, last point. If we do this right, the world is going to call us extremists, and the world is going to forget that we even existed. And there's a little, uh, little reminder of what happened to our nation's founding fathers. By signing the Declaration of Independence, the 56 Americans pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. It was no idle pledge. Nine signers died of the wounds during the Revolutionary War. Five were captured or imprisoned. Wives and children were killed, jailed, mistreated, or left penniless. Seventeen lost everything they owned. No signer defected. Their honor, like their nation, remained intact. Following Christ is actually supposed to cost us everything because of the reward and the gain that we get when we check out. If we're not pushing our faith to the measure that our forefathers did when they signed that paper, 17 of the 56 lost everything. If we men of this room aren't willing to lose everything so our kids might have a standing chance at some semblance of a future, what are we doing? I'd like each of you to take this week, this day in particular, but offer up everything onto God's altar. Throttle that line between him having two options. You are leaving God with two options. He either bless you and honor what you're asking, he'll respond to you, or he kills you. What are you afraid of? Dying? You're Christians. I'd prefer a physical death over a spiritual one. The church has to get revived, and it's going to. You think fear isn't the greatest motivator of all? So fear is coming either way, but it's either going to be fear of God or fear of men. The choice is yours. Love you guys. You guys are applauding when I cussed in church. You guys are a bunch of heathens. You need to repent, okay? All right. Thank you again, Steve. Praise the Lord. You know, as we close, and Steve, thank you for pouring out your heart, your spirit, but helping individuals understand a widely overlooked characteristic of who God really is. Nothing more succinctly said, but you cannot serve two masters. You're either going to love the one or hate the other, serve the one and, and or bow to the other. And as men, as we begin to develop this attitude to love what he loves and hate what he hates, not being afraid, we, we told you guys several weeks ago, everybody should be praying at least one violent prayer a day. You should become accustomed to praying violent prayers. Well, what does it mean to pray a violent prayer? You have a very real enemy that must be engaged. If you don't engage him on your own behalf and on behalf of your family, he has already engaged you. Right? Because prayer is your ability not just to communicate to God or with God, 
But as human beings, you are a spirit. You live in your body, and you must possess your soul. And the power that's made available to you to operate by faith must come out of your inner man, not your head. That's where violent prayer comes from. When you hate what God hates and you begin to come against it, did not Jesus say in Matthew 16, Behold, I give you the keys not to the kingdom, but of the kingdom. When you possess the keys of something, you don't have limited access. You have free reign. And when he gives you the keys of the kingdom, he says, And whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loose. So if you're not violently using your authority to bind something, then that thing is automatically loosed. It's already in operation. So when you realize that the enemy is, is seeking whom he may devour, he's infiltrating our schools, our government, our homes, our families, our children. He's trying to take your inheritance from you. This, again, goes back to what we opened up with. If we cannot get established in ourselves, if men in a local church cannot come to grips with the fact that you're the only form of creation that God has given the ability to operate in two dimensions at the same time, and if you're only operating in one dimension, you're missing half of the, the game that God's given you. You're missing half of the ability. You've got to use it. Use it or lose it, right? And so you begin to, you, you, well, Pastor, I, I'm not sure I know how. I've, I've, I've never done this before. Well, anybody ever gotten mad at anything before? Any, any, any of you married men ever get in an argument with your wife? You were smart enough to keep your mouth shut and go into the other room? Keep, or, or, did you, or did you open your mouth and say something? Or any of you... Gentlemen, ever had children that did stupid? And you didn't just overlook stupid. You let stupid know that was stupid. Well, you've got to begin to treat the spirit realm the same way. Devil, take your hands off. I address it. I speak to it. I command it. And you've got to become accustomed to it. It's throughout the Word of God. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, do you believe that the Bible is God's word? Because if you do, then, then we have to observe to do the things that are written in this book. And if we'll begin to do that, then we'll begin to see the effect that God gave us. And one of the primary reasons the church has been so ineffective is the church has been preaching love. Well, it's okay. We're supposed to love, right? But excuse me, you come and slap me? If you're bigger than I am like Steve, you're going to have to be addressed with metal. <laughs> right? Praise the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, is we, we have to learn to fight, guys. And, there's, and we should never apologize for the spiritual DNA that God put in us as men with a desire to fight. From the beginning of time, we didn't come to take sides. We came to take over. God's design for us is to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. It's time that we begin to subdue and use the dominion that God's given us. All right?
Praise the Lord. Well, Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for every man that is here. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are speaking directly to our spirit man. And that, Father, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that, Lord, we repent for not becoming more aggressive and active in our lives spiritually. And Holy Spirit, throughout this week, as these words continue to resound and echo within our spirits, we thank you, Lord, that we begin to adapt and, uh, and, and, and accept the mindset, the attitude that we love what you love and hate what you hate. And God, we will express your love, but we will also express the hate, that we will stand against the works of darkness and we will not let it go unchecked in our own lives individually, in our homes and our families, and in our communities. Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for it. We ask you now in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. All right, well, gentlemen, it's 1230, so um, it's Steve's fault that you guys are here so late. Praise the Lord. But he hadn't eaten yet. Um, certainly, if you have leftovers or if you have your dishes, make sure you get your dishes. If you can help us clean up real quick, uh, 50 chairs stay in here. There, um, I think only about 10 or 10 or 12 chairs need to go in the room next door, and uh, we'll roll the tables out and get them out of here. So, Hey, guys, if 